Welcome to One Screened Every Minute. I'm Elizabeth Callanan. To begin, I'd like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land I'm recording on today. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Ask any expectant parent what they want for their child and they'll likely tell you, I just hope they're happy and healthy. Increasingly, people are seeking reassurance and peace of mind through non-invasive prenatal screening, or NIPT. At as early as 10 weeks, a simple blood test can provide information about the likely genetic makeup of the foetus. But what happens when the results are unexpected? When they raise more questions than answers? In one screened every minute, I'll bring you conversations with ordinary people who have received extraordinary information about their pregnancy. In each episode, we hear how they understood and navigated the options available to them after receiving screening results showing a high chance of chromosomal differences. These stories are shared so we can learn but not judge, and they need our urgent attention. Today on One Screen Every Minute, I'm speaking with Chantelle. Chantelle is a nurse and also runs her husband's business. They have five children. Yes, five. Her youngest son was diagnosed prenatally with trisomy 21, or Down syndrome. Chantelle talks us through what it was like to receive this diagnosis and how she and her husband, who initially had different ideas about continuing the pregnancy, navigated decision-making following the unexpected prenatal screening results. Hi, Chantelle. Thanks for joining me on screen today. The COVID numbers are going down here in Victoria, but we're still not travelling beyond our five kilometre radius. Yes. Um, So thankfully, um, here in Melbourne, we can still connect remotely. Yes, thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited and, and happy that you've asked me to be a part of such an amazing thing. Thank you. I'm just sort of a bit overwhelmed by uh, by your life. <laughs> <laughs> so five children. Yes. <laughs> are, you, are you okay? <laughs> are you, well, we've got random age gaps. So my husband and I have been together since we were teenagers. So we accidentally started quite young. Um, yep. So yeah, we have random age gaps, which makes it a lot easier. I think if I had five little ones, I'd be slightly crazy. <laughs> Particularly in a, in a lockdown situation. Oh, a hundred percent. So yeah, no, it's not too bad at all. <laughs> um, you know, obviously we're here today talking about prenatal screening and yep. non-invasive prenatal screening in particular, and your sort of more recent experiences, but you no doubt would have seen some quite significant changes in how prenatal screening has been approached. Yeah. So they, the way that they did with the first couple of kids was through the um, standard ultrasound. That's what they mm. did for the screening. Yeah. So it was just ultrasound? Yeah. So that was with the first, my first four. So I only had mm. the NIPT, the prenatal um, testing done for my fifth child, my last one. Um, because it was, it had come out, it, it was out um, when I had my fourth child, but it was still yep. very new and very expensive. And um, and it was something that you didn't like, it wasn't, the doctors didn't necessarily suggest that you get done at that point. Mm. Um, with my last son, 
it was given my age and everything and because it was now becoming a more common um, form of prenatal testing for chromosomal abnormalities, um, it was suggested that I do it. Um, and the only reason why I did it is because you can also find out the gender. Uh-huh. And I'm very nosy and <laughs> curious. And I just wanted to know the gender as soon as possible. So, at, yeah, at no point in time on um, any of the ultra, previous ultrasounds, the early ones we'd had, did anything, was anything flagged. Right. Um, I only went to have this, this new um, non-invasive prenatal testing to find out the gender, basically. Right. So it was definitely a big big surprise when we got the result that we did. Yeah, right. So, and I guess your expectations perhaps were a bit coloured by the fact that you had already had four children. You'd had different screening, but you'd had prenatal screening um, and nothing unexpected had been had I presume had come up in that in that um yeah. prenatal screening so you yeah it sounds like you were approaching it um in a fairly nonchalant way and yeah as yeah. you say with that focus on <laughs> gender yeah purely the gender yeah. yeah yeah so tell me a bit about the conversation with was it your GP who suggested how old were you uh 35 35 yeah so yeah it was just even he suggested it quite lightly it was just a matter of you know this is the new up and coming common test that that people are having now it is a little more expensive so completely up to you if it's something you want to do um and yeah it was very casual not not a big deal and like I said the only reason why I opted for it is because I'm super curious and cannot handle not I like to know the sex of my babies as soon as I can (laughs) so um yeah that was and you did that with all your kids I did I did I found out as soon as I could I would start questioning at the 12-week scan and then get the confirmation at the 20-week scan (laughs) um so yeah I'm not one for secrets (laughs) I like to know I like to be prepared and pick names and, and buy things so and yeah we were planning on um a gender reveal what we're going to do for a gender reveal party and stuff like that. So that was my sole focus of ha- having the NIPT test done. And like you said, because with my previous children, everything had come up. I hadn't had the um, non-invasive prenatal testing, but I'd had the ultrasounds that were have always been available. Um, and we'd never had any anything show up different. So didn't really think, didn't cross my mind at all. Yeah. So you, so the GP suggested it. You were like, "Yep, great. I can find out this gender. I can get cracking with the gender reveal." Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. Planning. <laughs> what colour cake? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so you. So yeah. So we went in. Um, I'm not sure. I think it may have changed even again slightly mm. now. Um, so my son will be three next week, actually. So it was oh, you know a little week. over three years ago. Um, when I went in, it was the blood test and an ultrasound together. Um, so I had both the ultrasound and the blood test done. Mm-hmm. She didn't. Nothing was mentioned. Nothing was mentioned about the um, ultrasound or anything. Um, he looked to be growing perfectly. There was no flags or markers. But then it is still very early. So the test is done at ten weeks. I think I went in in between ten and eleven weeks. So it's still very early for an ultrasound, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So had the blood test done and the ultrasound where there were no um, structural anomalies picked up. Yep. Um, and, yeah, what happened next? Um, so then, yeah, we waited a week. So I think I went in a week later and it was a Friday afternoon. Um, I received the call from the genetic counsellor who is someone I'd never spoke to before. Um, 
it was late in the afternoon. I was about to go do school pickup and she's just called me and informed me that my blood tests have come back and it has shown um, abnormalities and that I was at a high risk of having a child with trisomy 21. Um, they put me in, they, she gave me a percentage, said I was about 68% chance um, that, th that this was going to be the result. And, um, and basically she said, I was in absolute shock. I was expecting to find out the gen or to be told that everything had come back clear. Um, and had then went on to say that she has booked me in for a um, CVS on the Monday and to have an appointment with her. So I was going to, she had booked me in to go and speak to her first and then go have a ultrasound and a CVS on the Monday. Um, and if I had any questions at the moment, my she had already notified my obstetrician, my private obstetrician, and that he was happy to, like will, waiting for me to call if I needed to speak to him and was happy to speak to me if I needed to call. Um, and then she hung up. So I was beside myself. <sighs> I was absolutely, I just didn't even know how to take in this information. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially being the fact that I feel it was a little rough to give me this information on a late afternoon on a Friday and leave me for the entire weekend to completely stress about it. Absolutely. Um, and just be, I felt very lost and yeah, so I had the entire weekend I had to think about it. And um, and then yeah, have this appointment on the Monday. I'm, I mean, I'm surprised even yeah that that was that sort of level of detail was shared over the phone. Even. Yeah, and I'm most, like, a, like to me that would be a kind of come into the yeah. Or even if yeah. I feel like maybe sh uh, it should have come from my obstetrician. Maybe I should have received a call from him rather than someone that I've never spoken mm. to before. Mm. Um, I also feel we probably could have put the call off until the Monday and then booked me in for the Tuesday rather than leaving me for the whole entire weekend. <laughs> yeah, leaving you for that, yeah, that thoughtfulness. Yeah. yeah. There's a Maya Angelou quote that I actually have pinned up above my desk. I'm creating a bit of a quote wall yeah. and it says, people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Yeah. And I, I think in the case of just having heard from so many people about how unexpected results are delivered or whether it's a mm -hmm. high chance or a diagnosis, in, in a way that quote doesn't stand up because people do remember exactly what was said so many years later. They remember how it was shared yep. and they acutely remember how it made them feel. It's so important that people who are sharing these, you know, life-altering pieces of information take that on board and really give it that the deep thought as to how it's best shared in those early, you know, yeah. those early days. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, it's just a matter of putting in a bit more thought as to maybe telling me on the Monday or maybe getting my obstetrician who I'm comfortable with and who I know to tell me or, like you said, have me come in. I, I felt very um, – it was definitely – it was a lot to take in and just receiving a five-minute phone call, this is what it is, and then leaving me for the entire weekend, <laughs> I thought was a little much. Mm, yeah. Fortunately, my husband was home at the time. He was upstairs. And I've come upstairs and I was bawling my eyes out. I just could not – 
believe what like I just didn't expect it it was honestly the last thing I expected I just 100% thought I was going to be told everything was clear and you're either having a boy or a girl that's what I thought the, how the, I thought the phone call was going to go so mm. yeah and she never even told me the gender on the phone call either. oh she didn't, didn't even get that information what? no <laughs> right <laughs> um, <laughs> so um so yeah no I was beside myself and yeah I think it could have been handled a little differently I was just I was also a little taken back that I had already been booked in for procedures that I had not even I hadn't even had time to um, absorb this information and I'm being booked in for something I haven't asked for and haven't had the chance to think about um, I mean I can it's, I can see where they're coming from but at the same time it was a lot to take in mm, at once mm, in like I said yeah. a five minute phone call Absolutely. And what was it like sharing that with your husband? So, yeah, it was it was funny because I came upstairs and I was beside myself and he was obviously very concerned and trying to find out, get out of me what was what was going on. Um, And when I finally was able to explain to him, his reaction was he was cuddling me and his reaction was, it's okay, Um, it'll be all right, we'll try again. And I kind of went, oh, um, what? <laughs> like, I hadn't even had time to think about anything other than the news I just heard, let alone, you know, ter- possibly terminating my unborn child and starting again. That was definitely something that hadn't crossed my mind. Um, and that's not a path that I was open to or willing to go down. And that's that what also, I think, made the weekend even more, str- like it was a very long weekend and both of us, had to get on the same page because he just naturally assumed and it's he's very um he'd not really spent any time with anyone with down syndrome or anything so in his head this meant that we were going to have a child that was going to be laying on the floor with no quality of life no you know no verbalizing just laying there not just you know what I mean like just mm, no quality mm, of life so it was mm. just in his head it was a no-brainer mm, and in mm. my head I was like well no that's not and you knew more about down syndrome or well yeah so I work in the special care nursery um so I have cared for neonates with trisomy 21 and I have spoke to their parents and then yeah I obviously I didn't know a lot because I, you know, you're in the care for them within that certain time frame, so I didn't know what the future holds, but I knew it wasn't what my husband thought <laughs> thought it was. And the funny thing is that um, now they have the most incredible bond. And he would watch him playing, like even when he was a few months old, he would turn around to me and he'd be like, "Are you sure he's got Down syndrome? Because he just he just seems like the other." <laughs> and I'm like, "I told you it's not what you thought it was going to be." And he's like, "Oh," and he's he'll say yeah. it, you know, even up until this day, he's like, "I mean, obviously we know he has Down syndrome." He's just like, he just acts like the others. I'm like, "Yeah, he's just a child still." So. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, I was just we had to sort of spend the entire weekend really educating ourselves. I let my sister know because she was at school pickup when I went there and my sister was the only person I told because I strongly felt that any decision that I made had to come solely from me and not be influenced by anyone else's opinions whereas my husband reacted a bit differently and he chose to speak to his family members and stuff like that and get their advice and it was a mixed 
um, you know, mixed feelings among everybody and opinions and stuff. But at the end of the day, the decision had to be both mine and my husband's. You were on very different pages, like a lot to negotiate. Yeah. And it was, it did, it was a very, very, it was not a pleasant time. It was a very stressful time. I personally, um, I personally don't really, I don't support termination, but then at the same time, I know that life isn't black and white. So I understand and I would never judge anyone for a decision that they make. Um, But I just don't feel that that's something that I could live with. Um, But I had to for him and for the situation. I did have to um, take it into consideration, look at every possibility, every aspect, you know, just take everything in and really just look at all, all of our options at hand and really think about what is what was I going to be able to, what were we going to be able to live with and what was going to work for us. Mm, mm. And particularly if that's that was that was straight where he went um, yeah. in terms of um, sort of assuming that the, the next yeah. step would be termination. So Yeah, and um, a lot of people of course, did. Yeah. So that mm, that is mm. even now when people find out, oh, did you know early on, you get that look like, oh, and you continued? Do people ask that? Yeah, and it's like, well, mm. yes, I did. And I 100% back my decision and I have absolutely no regrets. Mm. So, yeah, mm. it was definitely not a pleasant weekend. But we did manage to come to an agreement. Yeah. So by the time it came to our uh, appointment on the Monday, we had agreed that um, terminating the pregnancy was really, really not something that was something I was happy to do because I don't didn't plan on terminating I didn't see the point of having any invasive procedures that could possibly put my pregnancy at risk um, to have the confirmation so the agreement was that would have the ultrasound if they couldn't find anything if if he was looking like he was growing beautifully and he was strong and they couldn't find anything that was of great concern on the ultrasound then I was not going to go ahead with the CVS um, and that's what we did. So we went and we spoke to the genetic counsellor briefly before the ultrasound, went in and they spent a long time trying to find markers that were like, they were questioning the absence of the nasal bone, but they weren't 100% sure, which um, for anyone that doesn't know, that is a marker for trisomy 21. Um, they watched his heart and they spent probably half an hour, maybe more, looking at his heart and everything and trying to find... It was the longest ultrasound I've ever had. I think in total it went for almost an hour. They were really looking at him and, thoroughly. And how we... What what were you thinking during that time? Well, I'm watching I'm watching him kick around and I'm thinking, this. he's amazing. He's strong. He's kicking. He's... They're doing everything. They're searching and he just looked perfect to me. And I thought, well, I'm not... As long as he is willing to fight to be here, I'm going to fight for him to be here. So I'm going to make sure that I advocate for him and not let people put me in a situation and tell me what to do and, and you know, convince me into doing procedures that I'm not comfortable with that could put him at risk. Um, also, we've had six miscarriages over the year, mm. years. Mm. So the where I was coming from is if I've lost six babies but he I haven't lost him, he's meant to be here. Do you know what mm. I mean? So I just felt like, you know, if I wasn't meant to have him, this pregnancy would end in a miscarriage. It would mm. end. If I meant to have him, then he's going to be here. And as long, like I said, as long as he's going to fight, I'm going to fight and 
and we did and yeah. he's amazing. <laughs> so, I, yeah. so absolutely no regrets. <laughs> I think it's so interesting you talk about that, like how um, your previous experiences of pregnancies and miscarriage give particular meaning to and, you know, inform what what decisions you would make um, based on that unexpected news. And, yeah. And I think you're right earlier that, you know, everyone has these unique experiences and um, are going to bring that to their decision-making. Yeah. And I think also at that point when my husband saw him on screen and him kicking around and he, he also then was like, yeah, no, we're doing this. So mm, mm. we were we were on the same page at that point. Mm, so mm. after the ultrasound, we were taken back into the genetic counselor's office again. And it wasn't it wasn't a pleasant conversation because they had booked me in for the CVS. I then told them that I won't be going ahead with the CVS and they just could not understand why. They just um, questioned me constantly on, on, you know, do I think this is a good idea? Why would I not want to take this um, option? Mm, um, you really the, felt you were defending, you having to defend that decision. Yeah, so she's telling me the room's been booked and everything. Um, I understand that she's do, she was doing her job. Unfortunately, I think that the job that they're taught to do is so outdated in the way they come, go about it. It was just constant negativity. In terms of negativity, in terms of the meaning of that diagnosis? Yeah, just yeah. as in basically trying to reinforce, like constantly tell me that basically I've got a short amount of time to terminate so I need, I should have this testing done now so I can make that decision like just drumming in that's an option you know that's an option needs to be done we need to move um but what got me is she said two things that really bothered me um she looked me dead in the eye and she said very seriously she says have you thought about how something like this is going to affect the children you have now as a mother if you use your other children, if someone speaks about your other children and makes you feel like you're going to be doing something that's going to impact them negatively or have a, you know, a, a, a not a nice impact on their life, you'll automatically be like, oh, wow. Like even if you affirm in your decision, you automatically think, oh, my God, am I being selfish? Mm, mm. Am I doing something and, and putting them in a situation that is, you know, not going to be okay? Because at the end of the day, none of us knows what the future holds. We didn't know what our future held. Um, and that made me do, wow, like, yeah. am I doing the right thing? Yes, right, yeah. And then she yeah. looked at my husband and myself and she said, and is your marriage strong enough to survive something like this? Mm. And then that made him. So he had, we, I felt like we were on the same page after the ultrasound, but then I felt him sort of go, oh. So she, you, you kind of made to second guess the decision that you had originally gone in, that you felt that you had come to, you kind of made to second guess that. Um, and that, that happens a lot throughout the pregnancy yeah, with right. various different medical professionals. You are constantly getting questioned. And interesting to think about what assumptions that, that questioning is based on and yeah. where that comes from. Yeah. And, and I think we know um, a lot of research out there now that totally disagrees with concerns around impact on siblings yeah. or marriages. So it's um it's interesting to hear that, you know, that's not that long ago. No. Um and those those assumptions are still held and used to, you know, inform some pretty 
significant decision making. Yeah. Well, even after we finished the conversation and we were about to leave, they still insisted on rebooking me in for a CVS the following week. Um, so even though I'd stated, no, this is not something I'm comfortable doing, I'm, you know, it's all good, we'll just leave it. They insisted, and because at this stage I was kind of worn down, I was... I was overwhelmed with the with the questioning and the information um, and I was just a little bit worn down. So I just, I said, okay, we'll make the appointment because they insisted that I think further about it and that I'm running out of time. So it needs to be something that I think about seriously. Um, so they'll give me the time and they'll book me in for the following week. So I agreed to that. I was like, okay, we'll book in. When the following week came, I got cancelled it, obviously, because I had no intention of going. Um, and then they kept ringing me and I stopped answering the calls. Um, so then because I wasn't answering the phone calls, they called my obstetrician. Now, in between this time, I had spoke to my obstetrician. I'd had an appointment with him and he was amazing. He was my, he was really, he supported my decisions. He answered my 150,000 ridiculous questions I asked him. <laughs> he, uh, he never looked like he was judging me or anything. Like he just, I just felt like he was the only person at this point that had my back mm. um, and that I felt, you know, was, was genuinely um, supportive of my decision. So they ended up calling him and he turned around and he, he said to them, you need to leave her alone. She is um, well-educated on her decision. It is it's the decision she's made and we won't be, she won't be requiring your services basically. Um, and that was it. Then I didn't hear from them again. Oh. Um, but they definitely gave it. <laughs> and it wasn't it, enough it a... to hear that from you. No, no. So, I mean, mm. it's hard because I understand that it's their job to make sure that, you know, we've got a certain amount of time. Have we made the right decision? Blah, 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 blah. Um, but I feel like it was such a negative, everything that was coming at me was so negative um, that if I was umming and ahhing, um, I can see how parents do get scared and end up terminating their pregnancies because you were put under the pump, you were constantly reminded that, you know, it's, it's life-changing and all this can go wrong and this can happen and that can happen and you've got a, a short amount of time, you know, you need to make up your mind now and blah, blah, blah. Like you sort of – and because the whole situation is so overwhelming anyway, you're struggling to absorb the information anyway regardless um, of having people hounding you. So, yeah, I, I can understand. I think being a nurse I think helped me because I was – I'm not intimidated by – doctors and other medical professionals as much as maybe some other people are. Um, so I was able to advocate for myself. But even having said that, I still second guess. I, there was times where I still doubted myself and I still second guess myself um, because everybody else was. Mm, so mm. you do have, although you put on the, the front in front of everybody and, in, you know, when you're at appointments and that stuff, when you go home, you do sit there and go, oh, my God, am I doing the right thing? Like, is it going to be okay? Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely not, not an easy time. It seems like it was made very clear to you that you were, you were choosing something quite unexpected. Yes, and, and that is the reaction of a lot, the majority of the uh, medical professionals that I came in contact with during my pregnancy. It was just, it was very like, what? Oh, really? Like, it was... Just, I think it's, it was just so, um, it's just so common. Well, it is. 95% of prenatal diagnoses end up in termination. So it is more common 
to go down that path than it is to continue the pregnancy. So a lot of people really struggled to get their heads wrapped around the fact that we were going through with this and that that was our decision. Um, And not even that, they just could not grasp the fact that I was refusing invasive procedures that could give me 100%, like a a real answer. So essentially, during my pregnancy, I didn't know. It it could have gone either way. We didn't actually know for sure whether he had Down syndrome or not. Um, We didn't know until until he was born. So the day he was born, that's when it was confirmed. Um, And obviously blood tests and stuff that they perform afterwards. But yeah, up until then, it was uh, we were given a 68% chance on all of his ultrasounds that we'd had done, a lot of um, people that were doing the ultrasounds be like, well, I'd give you a 50-50 at this point. Like, I don't know. There's not really any soft markers or anything there that's um, obvious enough that I could be that they would feel com- comfortable being like, yeah, yeah, it, this definitely, you know, is going down this side. Um, definitely, baby's definitely going to have Down syndrome. Everybody was kind of like, oh, I don't know. So, yeah, it really wasn't until. But they really struggled to... Um, except that mm. I was happy to just wait. <laughs> to sit with that unknown. Yeah. yeah, rather than put his life at risk yeah. by having invasive procedures um, in testing. And that's nothing, That's that was my very personal decision based on my history with miscarriages and stuff like that. So that is completely nothing against anybody else that's having um, in the you know the CVS or the amnio or anything like that completely. I think the whole whole situation is a very personal one. And every decision you make through something like this has to be right for you and you only, you and your partner and your family. Mm. It can't be, it's not judging anyone else or based off what anyone else thinks or whatever. It has to be solely catered to you. Mm. So Mm. every decision has to be your decision and what you're comfortable doing. Mm. Mm. And I think that message is consistent with everyone that I've spoken to um, so far that I think having known what it is to receive that unexpected information uh, and then to, you know, it's one thing to have an idea of how you might respond to that, but when you're in the moment and it's your family and it's your baby and your life, um, you can't, you know, make presumptions about how you might respond, let alone anybody else, how anybody else should respond and, and react. Yeah, I don't think there is a right or wrong way. Mm. You just have to mm. do it your way. Yeah. <laughs> do it your way, I like it. You can have a slogan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One screened every minute, do it your way. Do it your way. <laughs> and so you're getting pretty consistent, um, you know, negative messaging from a range of health professionals as you progress with the pregnancy. Yeah. And at this point, you're not sure, you know, there's a, a good chance that the baby has Down syndrome. There's a, a good chance that he doesn't. You know the gender by now, I presume? Yes. So, on the, <laughs> yeah, on the Monday, I made her um, give it to me in a letter. <laughs> and we were, we, given the situation, we decided not to have a gender reveal party. We just, with um, my husband and myself and my children, our children, that night at dinner, we did it together at dinner, had our own little guests and just had a bit more of an intimate um, yeah, gender reveal, which was lovely. <laughs> and did you, did you, what were you guessing? Did you get the guess right? Well, because we'd had three girls and one boy. So we had the three girls first and then our son. And um, I just assumed that there's no, like it was going to be another girl because we <laughs> had so many girls. Um, so yeah, no, I was wrong, but I'm always wrong. So no matter what I say the gender is of someone's child, it will be the opposite. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> including my own. <laughs> a good, a good yardstick. I like it. Mm. So, yeah. So you said you know you had some some minimal knowledge around Down syndrome from caring for neonates, but in terms of sort of what life looks like with Down syndrome, um, where were you learning about that? Yeah. Or were you? Well, I had no, it was, yeah, I did as much Googling as I could, um, as you do when you find out, <laughs> find out information. Um, I, yeah, researched it as much as I could online, but I have, apart from caring for neonates in the nursery, I didn't, I don't have any experience. I didn't have any experience, um, or, you know, I've not, um, known of anybody else that's had a child with Down syndrome. So it was definitely an, the unknown. Um, I did, I had a, I guess I had an idea of what to expect as a newborn. Um, but apart from that, and even to this day, I have no idea what to expect. So <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's, um, it's an adventure and it's an amazing adventure, but yeah, it's definitely, and that's, I mean, I guess that's with all children. We never know what to expect. That's right. Regardless if they have a diagnosis or not. Everyone's going to do their own thing. Mm. Exactly. So yeah, no, we, I did as much research for the first few months as I could. But then to be honest, I felt like it was overwhelming me. I was, once you get on there and you start looking up this and looking up that, then it leads you into the other things and then you get deeper and deeper. And then I'm looking into just all this crazy stuff and it just got too much. And then after a while, I was just like, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. I'm just going to enjoy the rest of my pregnancy. It is what it is. We'll figure it out. I have every intention and still have every intention of raising him exactly the same as we've raised our other children. And as things arise, that's when we educate ourselves as we need to. Mm. I don't feel the need to go above and beyond and know everything and anything there is to know about Down syndrome. I don't feel that that's something that I need to do. Mm. Mm. Um, so, and it's, it's, it took a lot of the stress off because it just, you, it, yeah, you can very much spiral out of control when you're starting to research something. Um, and the what ifs and the, yeah, yeah. Online, yeah. Online, and everybody's yeah. experience is different. Mm, so mm. probably the one thing I wish that the genetic, and, and this is what I feel that genetic counsellors um, should, information they should give you is connections to stuff um, like pregnancy groups. Like we have one that's an online pregnancy group called 321 Pregnancy Care and it's run by Joelle Webb. I'm sure you've heard of it. Yes, yes, <laughs> um, yes. Now I... I knew nothing about this group. So mm. I feel like if I had been connected to a place that I could go um, and speak to other people that were in the same situation I was and ask questions openly and and just have that support, that would have been amazing. Mm. Mm. But I didn't. I knew nothing about this group. Nobody had told me. And I feel like when you're going to give a diagnosis to someone or a potential diagnosis to someone, you should also give them, provide them with all information, not just the negative part of the information. You should also be provided with the other side of it. You should be connected with people who could help you, help educate you further. Um, even setting up programs where maybe, and like I've, I've mentioned it before, I would be happy to have someone who's been told that they have a high chance um, to come and spend the day with me or a couple of days if they need and just see what my life's like. You know, I'm happy to speak openly with anyone and then that way they can leave being like, okay, well, you know, 
that's a different side. Mm. <laughs> and then whatever decision they make is completely up to them because it's a very personal decision, but at least it'll be a fully informed one, not just one based off negative, inaccurate, outdated information, sometimes biased information. Um, it'll be that they've been given the opportunity to see, yes, there is, obviously there is um, risks like medically and, you know, obviously it's going to be a different sort of adventure, but it doesn't have to be a bad one. So they need to see the other side of it mm. before they, ha- you know, are pushed into making decisions that are potentially life-changing. If you, people, some people, if you terminate a child, that can affect you for the rest of your life as well. That's not just a, oh, done and gone now. Now the problem's gone. That can also stay with you for the rest of your life. So, and that's why I don't think that I could live with it. Um, so I would hate to think that someone's been pushed into doing something like that that they didn't want to do because they weren't given the correct information mm, or the, mm, you know, mm. the accurate fully informed information. That's right. And, yeah, I think that's at the heart of it, isn't it, that um, – you know, what is an informed decision and... Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. I was... I actually chose to have him at the hospital I work at because I was basically told he was going to need the nursery, if if not worse. Um, so I went into it, even packed my bags ready for a good long stay, thinking that that's what was going to happen. I was going to have him. He was going to get sent to the nursery. He would be there for however long, whatever. Um, and that wasn't the case. I was home 24 hours. Both of us were home 24 hours after I gave birth. <laughs> but I've got lots more clean undies. No one, <laughs> no one told me that, that, that I was going to be home, that both of us were going to be home, mm. <laughs> you know, straight mm. after birth. I just mm. assumed I was told all the negative. Mm. Mm. Even it's as far interesting, as told, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I was even told that I, the chances are um, he might not be able to breastfeed. Mm, due mm. to low muscle tone and that does happen like all this stuff does happen but it doesn't always happen and I think we need to make sure that we're telling people yes this is a possibility but also this is a possibility like it mm, it's mm. not you know it's it's very yeah very, everyone's very negative and quick to tell you the negative part of everything yeah. so I think we need to change that yeah, I was. Um, it's interesting you're saying about the breastfeeding because with Greta, with my daughter, we didn't know of her diagnosis at birth, but she, and so she was the third, my third child. And the two boys, her older brothers, had had real trouble breastfeeding. We got there eventually, but it wasn't an easy thing and they we needed yeah. a lot of help. Um, Greta was the only one to get straight on and <laughs> yeah. go for it. Um, and yeah. yeah, I often sort of think, you know, if... I wonder what the impact even would have been of knowing the diagnosis and perhaps the, in you know, in the back of my head thinking that it was going to be problematic when in actual fact, yeah, yeah, she was the only one who was able to get it happening. So it's, it's, it's interesting what, what those assumptions can then potentially lead to. Yeah, exactly. So during the course of the pregnancy, how did you feel about your choice to have non-invasive prenatal screening? If you had have asked me during my pregnancy, I would have told you it was the worst thing I'd ever done. I was absolutely, like, I regretted having that prenatal testing so much. I felt like all it did was cause nothing but extreme amounts of stress and anxiety. It just took over my whole pregnancy. It made what could have just been a normal pregnancy uh, very classed as a high risk. It just made the whole situation was extremely stressful 
And yeah, had you had asked me during my pregnancy, I would 100% turn around to you and said, do not get it done. I wish I hadn't had it done. However, <laughs> if you ask me now... <laughs> there's a but. There's a but. There's a but. <laughs> I, if you ask me now, I am so glad that I had it done. I feel like the emotional roller coaster that you go on is just, it's, it's extreme. And the fact that I got to, my husband and I um, got to go on that roller coaster during the pregnancy, before his arrival, we got to have all the ups and downs and highs and lows and stress and um, just all of that, you know, mourning the loss of what you thought you were going to have and just everything. We got to experience all that before he came. So by the time, you know, we got to the stage that we were able to accept it, educate ourselves, be ready for either way, whether he had trisomy or not. Um, so we were ready for it. And then I was able to start to enjoy the last bit of my pregnancy once we had gone through that crazy roller coaster mm. Um, mm. of emotions and, yeah, and, and stresses. And the funny thing is one of the things that I um, – really struggled with when I found out during my pregnancy was I was watching my other son who at the time was um oh he wasn't even two so yeah he was almost two he was rolling around on the floor and and mucking around and I was watching him and I thought you know what I don't he's I'm never going to see I thought that I was never going to be able to see him interact that way with his brother, that they were never going to have that, you know, sibling rough and tumble play and, you know, doing crazy stuff and, and have that typical sibling relationship. So I'm on the, the what I thought was a loss of what was going to be a typical sibling relationship and I could not have been more wrong. They, uh, you know, it, it, they act exactly like siblings do. So yeah, probably worse. <laughs> We're jumping off couches and doing all sorts of crazy stuff and there's lots of rough and tumble. And, and his older brother, who's now five, he still doesn't know. He doesn't, like we talk about it very openly, about how Xavier has Down syndrome and, you know, it just, it means that he's the same as everybody else. It just takes him a little bit longer to learn how to do things and stuff like that, which is why he goes to so many therapies. Um, and, but he's just like, no, like it's, it's nothing mm, to him. So mm. they, they have the most incredible bond. Um, like just, just such a strong, beautiful, genuine, incre- I can't even, it's just incredible the bond they have. And I love what, um, I love what that will mean for them going forward and in how they understand difference and diversity. Yeah. I think that's such a strength. Yeah, and that's an, and that's what I would love to go back and tell the genetic genetic counsellor now is when she asks me what's the effect that this is going to have on your children. It's done. It's had an amazing effect on my children. My children, all of them, are now much more open minded. They um, are much more accepting, much more patient people. They know now to advocate for those that can't advocate for themselves. They. Uh, he has Xavier has this uniquely special individual bond with each of them. It's he's just got this little individual relationship with each of them. That's just it's incredible to watch, and it's just such a pure love. Like it's 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 amazing. And I would not the way mm. I was told at the start would not have expected this. So if anything, it flies in the face of that. Yeah, mm. it's done nothing but enrich my children's lives and make them better people and, mm. you know, have nothing but positive impact mm. on them. So, yeah, mm. Mm. that's one thing I think that I'd like to share with her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like you should write a letter. Maybe she should listen to I this should. podcast. <laughs> we'll send her the link. Yeah. <laughs> so take me back to the birth. 
So you, you know, you were able to sort of process a lot and enjoy that last part of your pregnancy. You still weren't sure whether your baby will have trisomy 21 or not. Yeah, and that's where I'm. I am glad now that I had, and I was glad after I had him that I had the non-invasive prenatal testing, because I knew that there was a chance. And on the day that I went into labour, we knew that was the day that we were going to find out if he had Down syndrome or not. Um, I was able to, after having a pregnancy that was completely felt, completely out of my control, I was able to to gain back a bit, a bit of that control with my birth plan, and um, by speaking to the uh, my midwife so when we got in there she she said to me as they do what's your birth plan and I said well ultimately I want to be the one I when you know once he's delivered I would like to be the one that that announces it if I haven't noticed it like if, if it's not obvious to me that you you know then you know I want to know as soon as possible um but yeah so going into the pro- to labor and delivery we knew that it could go either way. So we didn't have that, that shock factor. Um, so, yeah, once he was born, they've lifted him up as they do. He came out quite quick and they've gone to put me on the chest and I um, put him on my chest and I've just looked at him and straight away I knew and I turned to my husband and I said, yeah, he has Down syndrome. And um, <laughs> sorry, it's very emotional. <laughs> um, and, yeah, then I turned to the room and I said, yes, he has Down syndrome. And that, sorry. <laughs> That was really special yeah. for me because it wasn't nobody whisked him away, mm. nobody was panicked. It was not. It was just such a normal, just a calm, mm. controlled mm. situation. I was able to. I he, he was able to stay with me on my chest, and we had that skin to skin. I was able to take it all in. The doctors walked it. Everything was very calm because I was the one. They didn't have to break any news to me. They didn't, you know, have to be whispering off in the corner or, you know, going to panic. I love that. I love that sense of power that, yeah, you're able to take back. It was just, yeah, I announced it to my husband. Mm. I announced it to the room. And then we got to have our skin on skin Mm. cuddles and everything before that they had to obviously do his checks to check his heart and and that just all that sort of stuff that they had to do. Um, but, yeah, we got that moment of normality. Yes. That you do, yes. that, that that precious moment that we all love. Yes. After we have our babies, you know, that magical moment where they're delivered and placed on our chest and we have that connection. And I didn't miss out on that. And there was no mm. – I was being congratulated on the birth of him. I wasn't – there was no awkwardness. Mm. There was no panic or, you know, there was no negativity in the room. It was all yeah. just positive. And you'd had all that time to process it during yeah. the pregnancy because of the screening result. Yeah. But also, you know, whether, who knows, I don't know, that midwife might have just come on shift, but they'd had, um, you know, I think for health professionals, it's tough for them too, isn't it? Oh, you yeah, know, they, they don't know how you're going to understand that information. It's there often, you know, if it's an unexpected post-birth diagnosis, they're having to absorb that themselves and then perhaps try in the best way they can to share it in a, you know, in a in a way that they think is okay. Yeah. So you'd actually gifted them that yeah. ability to process it too, hadn't you? Yeah, well, I think it was my, the, my midwife was a grad nurse so um, mm. and she just handled it. What a beautiful lesson for her. I know. And afterwards I just said to her, I said, you were amazing. And she's like, no, no, you were amazing. <laughs> I'm like, no, seriously, <laughs> you were amazing. You. you handled it beautifully. <laughs> like, like everything she just... She just handled the whole delivery beautifully. Why was she? Why was she so good? She was just very calm. She was just. Mm. 
she listens to me and that's what I had said mm. to her. I said, I need you. If I don't want to move, don't move me. If I say no, like I'm, this is my labour and this is how I want to do <laughs> it. Bosh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've done it. I've had a few babies, <laughs> been experienced. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, this is how I want to do it. So, you know, basically just go, go with the flow and she did. She didn't try and control anything. She just let it happen. And she was amazing. So, yeah, I, and even all the doctors that came in, like I said, everybody was congratulating me. They were, it was just a very calm, peaceful situation, environment. And I'm, I am so grateful that I did have the non-invasive prenatal testing so that I got to experience that because I will never forget that. That is, that, that made up for the previous months of complete, for such a stressful, you know, out of control pregnancy um that there made up for all of it and then on top of all of that my husband came in and we've been together since we were 13 um so like 24 years or something and we've been married for 18 years and um after yeah after I gave birth to Xavier and everyone left my husband reproposed to me to remarry him with another ring so <laughs> it was just a very <laughs> magical <laughs> it was just a, a really really you know, magical experience. So yeah. Oh, what a good Yes. So I'm definitely grateful that I did get the testing. Yeah. And I can say that now. And if anyone was to, um, any of my friends ask me now, you know, if they are pregnant and they question it, I say, yeah, go definitely get it done. Because even if they do come back with a chance, then I'm here to help you. And I can set you in the right, I can link you to the correct people and set you in the right path. Mm. Um, and you know, you know, my son, so like I would be definitely advocating for it now, but my issue is I'm all for the non-invasive prenatal testing now, if it's done correctly, if the information is given correctly, if the diagnosis, if, if it comes back showing that there is a chance, if that information, if, if telling the parents that their child has a chance and not has a risk, their child should not be at risk, their child has a chance of having Down syndrome. Um, Language is important. Yeah, if, mm. if they're told correctly mm. um, and not, I feel like um, non-invasive prenatal testing should be used to help educate not to try and um, to eliminate Down syndrome. And that's essentially what it's being used. It's being used to try and eliminate Down syndrome and I'm not okay with that. So mm. I don't support that part of it. But I support the part of it where parents are given the opportunity to go on that roller coaster ride of emotions and have the time to educate themselves, to accept it and, and be okay with it and have that time and to be able to take back the control like I did at the end of it and to start their life with their brand new baby on a positive note mm, and, mm. and not have, yeah, just not be pushed into doing stuff that you don't wouldn't necessarily have done mm. if, you, if it hadn't have come from such a negative perspective. Mm. Oh, Chantelle, I feel like you've taken me on that roller coaster ride today. <laughs> you just spoke beautifully and powerfully and in a very real way that people will connect with. Oh, good. So thank you. Yeah, I just, I'm so pleased. And it's hard because you've got so much to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Elizabeth Callanan, and you've been listening to One Screened Every Minute. There are notes for each episode over at onescreenedeveryminute.com. Thanks to Everpatient series producer Joel Supple 
and to the University of Melbourne, Melbourne Disability Institute and the Vasudhara Foundation for supporting the podcast and allowing these important stories to be shared.